Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, everyone. We are going to be in Galatians chapter 5 today. So if you'll open your Bibles with me, um, it is uh, in the New Testament. So go to the middle, take a right. You get uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Then you can remember the next ones, God eats potato chips, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you think that's irreverent, General Electric Power Company, however it is you want to do it, um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. Um, My wife Karen and I, along with our two sons, uh, Eli and Silas, have just recently moved here within the last last month, and uh, we are delighted to be a part of the Redeemer community, and we're excited to get to know all of you better, and we are trying very hard to learn Lots of names. So please forgive us if you have to introduce yourself two or three times because we are in that phase where we recognize faces and we might really like you and have no idea what your name is. Um, and so uh, give, us, give us some time. We'll, uh, we, will, we will get there. But thank you for the reception that we have had here at Redeemer. Now, let's get into the Word, which is where what we came here for. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What a masterful piece of writing. I mean, it's, it's pithy, it's memorable, it's forcefully expressive, like ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? It's, it's, it's purposely repetitive for emphasis. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's, it's inspiring. It's a rally cry. It's rousing. It makes us want to say, yes, amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But what does it mean? Like it's exciting, but what does it mean? Right? It's, it does. It makes us want to emote freedom. Right? I mean, you can't talk about freedom without a Braveheart reference in there somewhere. But, 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 but what exactly does it mean? Freedom. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, this verse in particular has, uh, is susceptible to varying interpretations in our culture because of the word freedom. This is an important word for us as Americans, right? We value our freedom and don't want anyone impinging upon our freedoms. We are the home of the free, right? We are about to celebrate the American Independence Day where we go visit our Statue of Liberty and ring our Liberty Bell. I mean, freedom is a huge part of our consciousness as as Americans, So much so that even when I start to talk like that, there may all of a sudden become a tension in the room where some people start to go, all right, where's the new guy going with this, right? Like, is is the new guy going to say something bad about America? Because I'm not going to like that, right? You're listening about what, and other people are are going, whoa, where's the new guy going with this? Uh, Is he going to preach against how the evangelical church is over-identified with right-wing Republican politics? Is that what he's going to do today? Is that what's going to happen? I'm going to disappoint you all because we're not talking about partisan politics this morning. But I want to say something that I think people on both sides of the aisle in our very divided country um, can agree on. Uh, That many of the tensions and the significant disagreements we see in our culture and in our country today are due to differing understandings of the word freedom. What does it mean? 
Does freedom mean anything is permissible? Does it mean no one should be able to tell someone else what they can and can't do? Right? Um, does freedom mean no rules? That's the nine-year-old answer, right? Because you say, why are you drying on the wall? And they go, well, it's a free country, right? I mean, that's what, that's what they say. <laughs> the, the, they, they appeal to the very core of who we are as Americans. I can do whatever I want because it's free. But, but here's, here's the problem when you start to process through that a little bit is let's go to our founding documents, right? The preamble to the Constitution. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of our liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Then it goes on to lay out all the laws of the land. Well, which is it? Are you, are you holding our liberty uh, and, and securing the blessings of our liberty, or are you giving us laws? Which is it? So apparently, even with freedom, there is some constriction. But, but when does the constriction of the law impede our freedom, and when does it secure our freedom? Right, these, these are the struggles that we have, right, of this tension of pulling apart what does this word freedom means. And here in Galatia, the, the city, the area in which this letter was written by Paul, the church planting missionary. He, had to, he planted churches, kind of moved on, and had to disciple a lot of those churches through letters such as this. And Galatia was dealing with this tension, but not from a political standpoint as in, as in governmental of their, of their city or, or country, but from a gospel perspective. What does freedom in Christ mean? What does it mean that for freedom... Christ has set us free. What does that mean? And there were some teachers, specifically in Galatia, who had, who had infiltrated into their, uh, into their church. And Paul does not like these guys. He says some pretty drastic things uh, to them. I'll let you, I'm just going to leave you that. If you haven't ever read Galatians, go read what Paul tells them to go do to themselves because of the things that they are teaching in Galatia. I'll just put that teaser out there to make you read your Bible. Okay, so, um, so here they're struggling in Galatia because these teachers have come in and said, look, um, you were Jewish people, you were Jewish people before, and now you've got Christ, and that's great. But in order to be faithful Christians, you need Christ, that's true, and you need to keep the Old Testament law. You need both. Christ and the Old Testament law. And specifically, this sort of symbolically comes down to circumcision. Because circumcision was commanded in the Old Testament law, uh, and it was a mark of the covenant, of the Old Covenant, of, uh, of being Abraham's people. So of being brought into the covenant people of God, the mark and the sign of that was, uh, was circumcision. Because it, that the people of God marked themselves generationally from Abraham. And so in circumcision, you mark the thing that makes more generations. I'll let you think about that. Okay, so, so that's what circumcision is about. So then the question is, should, do we have to be circumcised or not? And also what that symbolically means is, do we have to keep the whole law? And these teachers had come in into Galatia and said, yes, you have to do both. You have to need Jesus and you need the law. You can read more about this in Acts chapter 15, where there's the Jerusalem council, where all of the apostles come together and Paul goes um, and, uh, and they talk about this, about whether Christian converts need to be circumcised 
circumcised. And as this was a group of complete men, it was a quick vote, right? They were like, what does everybody think? I don't think we need discussion. I think we can just raise hands. Who says no? No? Okay, passed, right? That's what they said. So, uh, so they said, no, Christians don't need to be circumcised. And then they sent Paul and Barnabas out to tell this good news. Not just about the circumcision part, but about what that means that we don't have to keep the Old Testament law in light of the work of Christ. Now, scholars disagree with whether Galatians was written before or after that council, but either way, Paul, what Paul writes in here is in line with what you will read about the decision of the church in Acts 15. So, Paul in Galatians 1 says that having faith in Jesus plus following the law, he uses this phrase, is a different gospel than what I preach to you. It's a different gospel from what he preached to the people in, uh, in, in Galatians. If you go back and read Galatians chapter 1, he says that anyone who preaches a different gospel should be cursed. All right, these, are, these are big words. Like You don't just say that flippantly. If you teach something different than I teach, you should be cursed. It would turn you into a newt right? I mean, like, like that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big phrase that we are going to, that we want you cursed. So what is the gospel that Paul is preaching that he says that these folks who have come in are preaching a different one? If you flip backwards to Galatians chapter 2, 15, he says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So justified, or as we say in the South, getting right with God, right, um, is not gained by works. We do not believe as Christians that our salvation is merited or earned by our good behavior, but that salvation is a free gift, healing, wholeness, completeness. Salvation doesn't just mean a better place when you die. Salvation is a wholeness, a completeness, a shalom, a peace, a fullness, um, a, a, a healing. And that salvation comes through grace. It is a free gift that is given to us by Jesus Christ when we repent and believe, put our faith in him. That's the gospel that Paul is preaching. It is not about your works. It is about Jesus' works. And so it doesn't matter um, how much you think you've sinned and how much you think someone else has sinned. You've all sinned equally or in need of a Savior because it's all about the work of Jesus, not about your works. So then Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And he goes on and he says this, stand firm then. So we're in, uh, we are in Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So he's speaking to Christians here and he's saying, you've been set free by Christ, so don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't think Jesus plus the law. So he's saying no circumcision, eat an oyster, have bacon, God is good. That's what he's, that is the summary of Galatians chapter, chapter 5. And so is, uh, is, is that it? Sermon over? Let's bow our heads and pray. Well, but wait. When we started off, we talked a little while ago about how freedom doesn't mean no rules. That's not what that means. So is there any standard of moral or ethical behavior for Christians if the Old Testament law is canceled? 
Jump down to verse 13. Paul starts to flesh this out a little bit more. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So you were called to be free, but he's starting to put some limits here. Freedom is not carte blanche. It's not freedom means anything, anywhere, anytime, whatever it is that you want to do, you are free. That's not what freedom means. Because the goal here, friends, and we're going to keep coming back to this, the goal is not freedom in itself. The goal is flourishing. The goal is not freedom in itself. Freedom in itself is the freedom for good and for evil. The goal is flourishing. The goal is God, not just freedom. We're not going far enough with our understanding of what freedom is. So he says, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom for indulging the flesh, but do use your freedom to serve others. If you look closely at the main, the main verse that we've been focusing on, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is kind of setting things apart here where he says there's a freedom from something and a freedom for something. It is, it is for freedom that you have been set free, and we could add from something else, right? It's from slavery, from sin, from the Old Testament law, from, it is for and from. So let's deal with what you've been set free from first. The gospel of Jesus sets us free from the penalty of the law, which is death. It's already been paid. The penalty of the law that we have all broken, the law of perfection, the law that says, if you are going to say, uh, I'm going to be a Christian by my merit and my goodness, then you have to keep the entire Old Testament law. Not just the ones that you feel are beneficial and leave out other ones. All of it. Paul says, in the, little, the verses that we skip there in Galatians chapter 5, he says, if you are going to be circumcised, if you're going to be, be um, uh, saved or justified by circumcision, then you have to keep the whole law, not just that part, all of it. So if you are going to have your justification through works in the law, then it has to be every bit of it. So, you know, things like, if your children misbehave and don't listen, take them to the gate of the city and stone them to death. And as tempting as it is to be an Old Testament believer, oftentimes, um, that grace has set us free. All the children in the room right now should be, praise Jesus, right? This is, this is good news. We will not be stoned to death at the city gates. Um, you, have to, you have to hold to the dietary laws. You have to hold to the purity restrictions. You have to hold to every bit of it, not just what is culturally acceptable right now. And the, one of the purposes of the law is to show us that we can never obtain perfection by our own merits. That's, I mean, read, I don't know, the entire Old Testament. That's what it's all about, is showing that we need a Savior, that we need more than external help. There was this, uh, when we used to live in Fayetteville, North Carolina, there was this really big, tall building in the middle of town that said, self-help at the top. And it was always confusing for me, because I was like, if I can help myself, why does there need to be a giant building full of office spaces to teach me how to do it? 
right? There's, it, that self-help doesn't work externally. Just trying to fix yourself from the outside doesn't work. And you can tell because you have never kept a New Year's resolution in your life. That's why Lent comes a little bit later, so you can repent from all of your false promises that you made a couple of months uh, before then. So, so Christ has come in, and he has canceled the penalty of the law, because the law says if you are going to be justified by this and you don't keep all of it, then you will be punished by what it is that you think you're going to gain salvation through. And so the penalties of the law also are upon you, which is death, death for your sins. And so Jesus came as fully God and fully man to stand in our place with, with the debt to be able to, to, to pay as a, as a human being, but with the ability to pay that debt as God himself. And he came without the sinful nature that we share, and he lived a sinless life, and yet he paid the penalty of the law, death, in your place. He atoned for your sins. He substituted himself for you because he loves you. Free gift. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul is preaching that says you belong to Christ because Christ loves you, not because you earned it and you're good enough and you're smart enough and gosh darn it, people like you. Like it is not, uh, that is not why Christ has come to save you. He has come to save you because he is good and he loves you and that being a Christian is about saying I need to repent and believe that I need to save free from the penalty of so we've been set free from the penalty of sin and the, the penalty of the law, which is death, which, if we take seriously, friends, should be a moment of sheer and utter rejoicing for us. Like, we've heard this before. If you're a Christian, I'm not saying anything right now that you're like, oh, I never heard that before. I mean, this isn't revolutionary if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you might still be kind of working through this, and that's great. We're glad you're here to be able to start to process, process that through with us. But... We have heard this oftentimes so much that it just slides on by us without us rejoicing. Friends, if Christ had not come, you would still be in your sins and eternally condemned to hell itself because you have sinned against your creator and your maker and the perfect loving God who made everything. But Christ has come and saved you at his own cost. So, so we are saved, we have freedom from the penalty of the law. But then we are not just slaved from slavery to the law. We are saved, we have freedom for, freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom for what? Verse 13 tells us that although we're not bound by the law, that that doesn't mean that sin ceases to exist. Um, the word flesh he uses there in verse, uh, in verse 13 when he says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another. The word flesh, oftentimes Paul uses this word in opposition to the Holy Spirit. There's flesh and Holy Spirit, um, which we'll see in just a minute. So he's saying here, you've been set free from one kind of slavery in the law. Don't get enslaved then by the flesh either and by the sin of the flesh. So you're going to be enslaved by the law of perfection that you can't hold. Don't come out of that and swing the pendulum the other way and all of a sudden become a slave to the sin of your flesh. That's no good either. 
Tertullian, who was a third century church father, and he talked about this, and this should be important to just think, they were dealing with this even in the second century, right, second, third century. Um, Tertullian said that just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, the gospel is ever crucified between two opposite errors. These errors are legalism or moralism on one side and license or hedonism on the other side. The gospel is in the middle. So legalism is the understanding that salvation comes from our good works. We earn it by being good enough. And usually, we usually we're soft on this. We're like, we're not as bad as Hitler, not as good as, I don't know, Mother Teresa. And, but God probably, probably grades on a curve. You know, I'm thinking that I'm better, I'm good enough. Um, and, and so how grace-filled you are depends on where that line is, like, in how close to Hitler it is, right? Um, and we like to, we, we don't want to think perfection of the law. We like to think I'm good and good enough. There's no good enough in the scripture. There's perfect and imperfect. There's righteous and unrighteous. That's it. So the legalists usually like to pick and choose, right, in this, because they go, Bible says you shouldn't have tattoos, you might go to hell if you have a tattoo. But then they ignore the part where you can't trim your beard that is two verses later also in Leviticus. So which is it? Right? So legalists have a hard time um, with sort of getting their own thoughts straight on this. Now, the, the opposite error is license. It's using grace as an excuse to say that since Jesus canceled the moral code, that there therefore is no sin. A simpler expression of this is to say, my behavior makes no difference because God knows that I'm good in my heart. Yeah, see, God does know your heart. That's why he gave you the law to show, compare your heart to this, and you will see that your heart is black and icky, right? I know you want to think, no, but I'm, everyone's good on the, no, they are not. Like, there's no part of the scripture that ever says that. And if you've ever driven every, anywhere on any road, you know that people are not good innately. <laughs> so when they say, but God knows my heart. Yes, he does. So he sent Jesus to die for your bloody, nasty, dirty, dark heart. Okay. So the licensed folks who like to move towards, uh, towards well, all of sin just goes away. We can just do whatever we want. They love the next verse here where Paul says this. In verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so licensed folks tend to want to go, see, look, our religion and our faith is all about love. And John Lennon's Imagine starts playing, everybody gets out their hookahs, you know, and we all sit around, have a drum circle, like it's, um, they start to move, it's just love. The problem is with this just as ambiguous freedom is not helpful, ambiguous love is not helpful. We have to define what freedom is. We have to define what love is. I know you're thinking, well, some say love. It is a river <laughs> that, ble <laughs> that bleeds. The Sorry, that's Bette Midler if you're not uh, a fan. Okay, so, so, so we have to define what is love. Baby, don't hurt me. We can do this all day. Um, <laughs> so, so, so what is it? The scripture talks about what, what is love. Is, I mean, is it just emotion? Is it just being nice? Is it just encouraging everybody in whatever they want to do? Well, let me give you an example. So when Eli, my oldest son, when he, was, when he was pretty young, I don't know, maybe four or five, I was cooking dinner, chopping some vegetables or something. And uh, when I turned my back, he reached up on the counter and took the knife 
off of the counter. Um, and then he ran away with it. So what is love in this situation? Baby Christ has set you free. So you are free indeed. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You are free to run through the house with the butcher knife. Does he have freedom to do that? His salvation is not dependent upon how he uses the knife. But love as a father is for me to not chase him because he'll run like a puppy, right? And so you just gently walk up and snatch the thing away from him and go, no, right? You will, you will not do that. And you scare them to the point where they get a little bit of tears and you're like, I'm sorry you're crying, but this could skewer you, right? You will not take this. No. I have given him a command. You will not do this. Why? Because I love him and I would prefer him not to gut himself. Right? I love him, and so I've issued him a command for him to follow. Am I restricting his freedom in that? Yes. But freedom is not the goal. Flourishing is the goal. And for Eli to flourish, a butcher knife in his stomach would impede his ability to flourish. So my command says no, because I love you. So now you're thinking, all right, all right, all right. So license doesn't work. But legalism doesn't work. What are, we, what are we sort of left with? Well, Martin Luther says this. He was a 16th century theologian, father of the Reformation. He says, he wrote a treatise called On Christian Liberty. And he said, our faith in Christ does not set us free from works, but from false opinions concerning works. That is, from the foolish presumption that justification is acquired by works. Faith redeems, corrects, and preserves our consciences so that righteousness does not consist in works, although works neither can nor ought to be wanting. In other words, good works and the good things that the law commands us to do and keeps us from should still be in place. Thomas Aquinas, a 13th century monk and theologian, said, it seems that it is not an effect of law to make men good. I'll explain this in just a second. For men are good through virtue, since virtue is that which makes its subject good. But virtue is in man from God alone, because he it is who works it in us without us. Therefore, the law does not make men good. So here's, here's what he's saying. External actions don't make us good. Goodness or virtue, as he called it, goodness is given by God, and it's an internal thing. And good external actions come out of the goodness that is within. External actions can't make us good, but when God makes us good on the inside, external good actions should come. And if there are no external good actions, then we have to start go to say, has that internal goodness change actually happened? Jesus said it this way, a good tree bears good fruit. Right? Now, Martin Luther took that and he said the opposite way. He said also, the fruit does not bear the tree. The tree bears the fruit. Now, what, what I'm not saying here is that, well, right, Dan, so we just need to find the God-given good in all people. No, that's not the gospel. Your heart is a dark place. 
You need a Savior. And what Jesus does, and through the giving of the Holy Spirit, is that when we repent and believe, we have crucified our old selves, and that we have a new heart to be able to want to follow God. So the idea here is that, uh, is that Eli, what I desire for him is not to just not touch the knife. I want him to not to want to touch the knife. James Smith um, explains Aquinas in this way. He said, there's an inversely proportional relationship between virtue and the law. The more virtuous someone is, that is, the more they have an internal disposition to the good that bubbles up from their very character, the less they need the external force of the law to compel them to do good. So Paul says it this way, don't use your freedom from the law to indulge in the desires of the flesh. And then he's going to give us a different alternative, living by the Spirit. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So you're not under the law, but you're not to do whatever you want, because you still have the desires of the flesh within you that are contrary to what the Holy Spirit desires. Now, here's the important word in this verse. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Desires. What, what Jesus wants is to actually reform and change our desires, not just have you get in line. Get in line. Obey the law. Just, just act like you're supposed to act. He's saying, I want your very heart to long for the things that are good and flourishing and to reject the things that bring harm. He's trying to change your very heart. When he says, whatever you pray in my name, I will give you the desires of your heart. And you're like, yes, I get a Porsche. <laughs> no, what he, what the, the, the caveat of that is, I'm going to change your heart first. Then whatever you pray for, I'll give you the desires of your heart because what you're asking for is in line with my will. And I'll be happy to grant you that. Like when my son says, can I please mow the grass, Daddy? And I say, yes, you can, right? That is, I want him to want that, um, not just say, no, you have to go and do that. So the spirit, this flesh desires what kills and destroys. The spirit desires what is holy and righteous and pleasing to God. And the spirit is at work in you to change your hearts so that you don't desire what is of the flesh. It's like this. If there's a sign on a tank of rattlesnakes that says, do not enter, I don't need that law. I have no desire to jump in the tank of rattlesnakes. Right? And so he, God wants to change your heart so that the things that, that the law would preclude you from doing, that you're still not going to do them. He hasn't canceled the law to allow you to do what is sinful. He has instead said, I want to change your heart so you don't want to do what is sinful. So I'll take the, the law from tablets of stone and I'll write them on your heart. So, so Paul gives some, some clarification here as to what is going on. He says, well, what are some of the acts of the flesh? Verse 19, acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's, these are all desires, right? When you really look at the heart of this list, 
list. It's all desires. There's, there's sexual issues. There's purity issues. There's how we deal with one another in relationship, in fits of anger or in peace. That, we, that these things reveal an unhealthy heart, soul, body, and mind. But the fruits of the Spirit, right? He said the acts of the flesh, but the fruits of the Spirit, the things that come out of us belonging to God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, he says. So the, the heart of the gospel is not just Jesus died for your sins so you get to go to heaven. It's that Jesus died, rose again, then he ascended, which is a huge part of the gospel, and then he sent his Holy Spirit, was another part, huge part of the gospel, to live within you, to start to transform you into his image. Paul says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So friends, what this means, what this, as we start to apply all of this, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is not a dead external law that we live by. It is a living Spirit that desires not to give commands that, that, that kill all our joy. But rather, it's a living spirit that desires our flourishing and the redemption of this entire world and wants to use us to be able to do that. And he says, don't, don't use the freedom you've been given to, desire, to, um, to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Like, don't, don't settle for that because there's something so much greater, which is the freedom that is given in Christ. Freedom from shame, freedom from fear, freedom from anger, freedom from bitterness, freedom from sin, freedom from death. And that you have freedom for, freedom for bringing new life, bringing new growth, bringing reconciliation, bringing redemption, bringing wholeness, bringing family. You've been set free from in order to have freedom for these great things. So a couple of things I'll leave you with in this. What, how do we apply this? We need grace. Although we've crucified the, the, the desires of the flesh, they're still there. We like to crucify them and then rip them back off the cross and put them back on. Right? We need grace. Look, you never move beyond grace. You will never mature beyond the doctrine of grace. Ever. Because you constantly have to come back to your need for a Savior. We need good works, not to earn our salvation, but naturally coming out of the new creation that we are. Your, your good works are not optional. They are, they are a part of who you are as a Christian if you are a Christian. We need truth. We must not draw our understanding of what is good, of what is freedom, of what is right from any source other than the Scripture itself. Culture cannot dictate this for us. Our Constitution can't dictate this for us. Although the Old Testament law has been canceled, it does still speak truth as a standard of holiness and moral law. And so the moral law still reveals the moral attributes of God. But no one has said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, so shoot anybody you want. No, murder is still against the moral character of who God is. 
True freedom and true love is found in submitting all things to the Spirit. Our gifts, our vices, our sexuality, our hopes, our dreams, our politics, our money, our opinions, our very lives. True freedom comes in submission to the Spirit. And I know it sounds backwards, but that's the way Christ works. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for me will find it. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. With it to, to kindle that fire that Christ has put within us to desire these things, to participate with the Spirit. God's desire is not that you believe in Him simply to avoid eternal punishment, but that you love Him and love what He loves, to walk with His Spirit. And friends, we need to repent. That shouldn't be a word that we should be afraid of. We need to repent for those things that we haven't crucified, for those things that we worship other than Christ, for those, things that, for, those, for those opinions that we hold that are contrary to Scripture that is the revealed Word of God. We need to repent from those things. And if that tweaks you to say, I don't know if I need to repent, that is at the heart of who we are as Christians. You are in need of a Savior. We also need Community. The Lord has given us the community not just as a place where, well, you all kind of believe the same things. Maybe you should get in the same room together once a week. He's given you the community to live out this new life in the gospel together to point out those places in your life where you might need some more repentance and some more grace um, and to encourage you and to love you and to teach you and to support you. You must be a part of community. You cannot be a faithful Christian on your own. And finally, I would say this. We need the sacraments. Baptism is entrance into the Christian community as we're crucified with Christ, right? Old Testament, sign of the covenant, circumcision, because it marked the generations, right? Well, we're not in the Old Testament law anymore, in the Old Covenant anymore. Now we have baptism because we are brought into Christian community through the death and resurrection of Christ. And it is a means of grace. Something happens in baptism, we don't have time to have another sermon on sacraments right now. We'll have to flesh that out at another time. But we need the means of grace that is in baptism. We need the means of grace that comes through the Eucharist when we come forward. This is not just a memorial meal. Somehow God is present within that. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians 11 because people do it wrong and die. Okay? You know, it's really, it's in there. I didn't make that up. Right? And so, so somehow God is present in this and it strengthens our faith as a community and together. And we need these. We need these things. They are gifts from the Lord. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, and that freedom is not ambiguous. It is freedom from the law and for a life of humble service. It's freedom from death. It's freedom for flourishing as dictated by what the Lord has said, and he's the one who knows. Your freedom is not for legalism or for license. You have been set free from sin in order to know life in the Spirit together. Pray with me. Father, big complicated things today on the, on the balance of faith and works and, and how and salvation and how that all comes together. And Lord, what it boils down to is that we need you. We need your forgiveness. We need you to where we're arrogant, where, we, where we've made our own set of morality, where we've met our, made our own set of rules, um, where we have given in to things that bring destruction and tried to call them good in order to be able to do them, we have to repent. 
Um, and we need you to even help us repent. We can't even do that on our own. We need you. It comes down to we are dependent upon you. And so, Lord, I pray for the people in this room who are struggling either with legalism or with license, Lord, that they will know the freedom that is your gospel. They will know for those who are under the oppression of a, uh, of a hyper-morality that is leading to a place of shame for them. Lord, let them, let them throw that off in the gospel. For those who are on the opposite uh, on the opposite path and giving into the desires of the flesh and settling for the di- desires of the flesh as what is best when what you have said that the flourishing that you offer in righteousness and holiness is truly what is best. Lord, let them repent as well. Let us all come to the place of freedom in the cross, of glorying in what you have done, of knowing the work of your spirit and of living a life that is keeping in step with your spirit, humbly serving one another in love, teaching your truth, redeeming the world through the power of Jesus Christ. It is for freedom that you have set us free. Let us use that freedom responsibly and well. In your name we pray. Amen.